I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. And as you turn there, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for giving us your word. And we also thank you, Lord, for giving us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these visible reminders, these symbols of deep, glorious truths. And as we ponder the the sacrament of baptism this morning, we just ask that you would encourage our hearts as we look to your word and ponder what baptism is all about as we also witness two baptisms this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to witness two baptisms, and all I want to do is reflect a little bit on what the scriptures teach about baptism, because it's important for us to understand what it is we're actually going to witness. God has given his church two sacraments or ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, we as Christians understand that baptism is the visible means by which one is placed within the body of Christ. You could say it's the entrance ray. It's a right into the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is the visible means by which we continue to reside in the body of Christ that we are a part of and full participants in the covenant community of God, the church. Now this morning, uh, both Graham and Danielle, I'm going to introduce Graham to you later, because some of you may not know who he is, but they're going to be baptized this morning. Both of them have repented of their sins and have placed their faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus Christ has died for their sins, and he alone is able to save them from their sins. And it's through the waters of baptism that they make that repentance and faith visible. It's through their baptism that they are declaring to those of us who are here that they have been saved by the blood of Jesus and that through their baptism they are visibly identifying with Jesus Christ, declaring him Lord and ultimately saying, my life is not my own, I belong to Jesus now. And so all I want to do this morning is two things. One, I want to briefly look at the biblical grounds for baptism, and then secondly, look at the theological significance of baptism. What does it convey? So first, the biblical grounds for baptism. Now, I'm just touching the surface, but I want us to see this. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we have Jesus's final words that are recorded in the scriptures. And of course, this is the great commission that he gives to his disciples before he ascends to his father's right hand. And this is what he says to them in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in this passage, Jesus commissions his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. But in the commission, he gives two instructions or two things that they are to do in their making of disciples. First, baptize these disciples in the name of the triune God and teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. In other words, 
To be a disciple begins with baptism and then continues with learning and living by Jesus' teaching. This was the last instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to his Father's right hand. Go and make disciples, and this is how you do it. Baptize them in the name of the triune God and teach them how to follow me. So within the commission given to the disciples, there is instruction from Jesus to baptize those who become disciples of Jesus. And that's why when you come to the book of Acts, which is really the, the unfolding of the disciples fulfilling this commission given by Jesus, you see precisely what Jesus instructed here. The apostles preached the gospel, they made disciples, they baptized those disciples, and then they began teaching them all that Jesus had commanded. Let me just provide you a few examples from the book of Acts where we see this. In Acts chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 2, you have um, the, the Pentecost sermon by the Apostle Peter. Right, The, 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 the uh, individuals in the room, they begin to speak in tongues, and, and the people are wondering what's happening, and Peter gets up and addresses the audience, and he begins to preach to them and tell them about Christ, the resurrected Christ. And we're told this about the audience in verse 37. Now when they heard this, that is when they heard Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent of your sins. Believe and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just a few verses down, this is what we read. So those who received his word, those who believed his word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then we see the disciples fulfilling the commission to teach them everything Jesus commanded. And they devoted, that is those who were baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you see the, the great commission being fulfilled in Acts 2. The gospel is preached, disciples are made, they are baptized, and now they sit at the teaching of the apostles. In Acts 10, 34-48, Peter, of course, goes to Cornelius, this Gentile whom God leads him to. He gives him a vision. And there we read this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 
To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then this happened. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and assoling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of, the Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to re- remain for some days. Peter sees that these Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit. God has saved them. Therefore, why are we withholding water from them for baptism? And that's why he commanded them to be baptized. And then one one other passage in Acts 18, 5 to 8, we read this. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, catch this, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. So that's just a few examples for why we as Christians teach and practice baptism. Jesus commissioned his church to baptize those who become his disciples. And you can actually see the theme of baptism all throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament. The the scripture reading this morning that we had you read, uh, that I had Peter read, Exodus 14, was the baptism of Israel. They went through the waters and came up on the other side, saved. Paul actually references that and calls it a baptism. The story of Noah, the ark, the flood, they enter through the waters of judgment and they come up out of the other side alive. Baptism. So that's the biblical grounds for baptism. Now, I want us to look at the theological significance of baptism. And so let me read to you from the London Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689 on the theological significance of baptism, and then we'll look at the scriptures to demonstrate this. So here's the the confession of faith. Baptism is an ordinance or sacrament of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ. Great commission. Right? Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized. Here it is. A sign of his fellowship with him. A sign of one's fellowship with Jesus in his death and resurrection of his being engrafted into him. Of remissions of sins and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. So first, we see here that it's a sign of fellowship and union with Christ in his death and resurrection. And we see this explicitly in Romans 6, 3 to 5, which I had you turn to. Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into what? 
his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, the scriptures teach that one is united to Christ through faith in Christ. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we are united to him, but we're united to him in the specific saving events of his life so that his saving works become ours. We're united to him in his life, death, and resurrection so that his life, death, and resurrection become ours. So when Christ died on that cross, you by faith died on that cross. When Christ rose from the dead, you by faith rose from the dead. This is why the New Testament speaks of the church as the body of Christ. He is our head. We are his body. Faith unites us to Christ and baptism is the visible means by which this union and fellowship is displayed. You see, the very act of baptism captures the idea of death and resurrection. The person is placed under the water, but then they, are, then they rise up out of the water just as Christ was buried and was raised. And so when someone is baptized, that's the theological truth that's being conveyed. This person, by being baptized in the name of Jesus, is demonstrating that they now have fellowship with Christ and belong to him. They are united to him. As Hammett states, into the name of Jesus was a technical term indicating a transference of ownership. Thus, in baptism, one openly confessed that he belonged to Jesus. That is, he was henceforth to be identified with Jesus. Secondly, as we read here, it's a sign of the remission of sins. Now, there are several passages that demonstrate this truth, but let me just read to you two. In Acts 2.37, which I've already read, where Peter's speaking to the crowd, Peter says this, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22, 16, Paul is speaking to the Jewish Jewish people about his own conversion. And he says this, "And, and why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. In other words, when one is baptized, the one being baptized is testifying that God has forgiven them of their sins and through Jesus has washed their sins away. This is what baptism demonstrates. It captures this. It visibly reveals something that is spiritually unseen, the forgiveness of sin. You see, baptism doesn't grant the forgiveness of sins. God grants the forgiveness of sins through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But the granting of forgiveness, the means by which God demonstrates this to the sinner, is in the waters of baptism. In other words, God has intended for baptism to be the visible and formal means by which one experiences the washing away of sins. 
Let me illustrate this. There, were, there, were, there was a time where, and maybe it still happens, but where preachers would, would preach the gospel and then they would make altar calls for people to receive Jesus and people would come forward and then they would invite these people to pray the sinner's prayer. And often what would happen is the, the pastor would use the sinner's prayer as the formal means by which to affirm a person's salvation. And they would often say something like this, if if you've come forward and prayed this prayer, you can know that your sins are forgiven. Now, you don't see that in the New Testament. But what were they trying to do? They were trying to give people who wanted to come to faith in Jesus Christ a moment, a, a, a visible event that they could hold on to by which they could say, yeah, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And though I don't agree with the methodology, I agree with that sentiment. People really did come to faith that way. Now, there were lots of people who simply prayed a sinner's prayer and you never saw them again. But the reality is the New Testament teaches that the formal way to do that is not an altar call or a sinner's prayer. It's baptism. Which means if you've been baptized and you're struggling with your salvation, you're doubting whether or not you're saved, and you came to me and asked me, Peter, I don't know if I truly know the Lord. The first thing I would ask you, have you been baptized? Because baptism is the means by which Christ affirms to you that you belong to him. You see, what they should have done is called those people to be baptized as the formal and visible way of saying yes to Jesus. So baptism is a sign by which one is united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection and reveals that the person being baptized has had their sins forgiven and washed away. Thirdly, it's a sign of a person giving her life to Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. You see that in Romans 6, 3 to 4 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism doesn't just capture that one is united to Jesus. It doesn't just capture that one's sins are forgiven. Baptism is a declaration by the baptized that they are now living a new life that's governed and directed by the teachings of Jesus. They're no longer living for themselves, but living for Jesus Christ, walking in the newness of life, walking in his ways. See, when they go under the water, the old self is buried. And when they come up out of the water, the new self rises in Christ. And the new self seeks to and begins to walk in the newness of life, the teachings and ways of Jesus. As Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Which means, when Graham and Danielle are baptized here this morning, They are declaring that they desire now to live according to the ways of Jesus and no longer the ways of this world. That their allegiance and devotion is now to Jesus Christ and his ways because Jesus Christ has saved them from their sins and granted them 
everlasting life. Now, there's one last thing I want to draw um, to our attention. You might ask, but why? Why? Why has God chosen for someone to be placed under the water as a way of signifying that this person has been saved by Jesus Christ? Why, why not just let them be saved? They've repented. They've trusted in Christ. Why do we have to baptize them? Well, here's my thoughts. God made us both hearing creatures and seeing creatures. And God in his grace intends to communicate to us through all our sensory experiences. And God has designed the created world world to convey deeper realities. There's a fittedness between the physical creation and spiritual truths, spiritual realities. In other words, ordinary things can stand for or represent aspects of eternal realities. So for example, what is something that sometimes happens in creation that the authors of the Bible ascribe to God to convey his power? Thunder and lightning. The voice of the Lord is like thunder and lightning. They've taken something that's ordinary in creation and ascribed it to convey a spiritual reality about who God is, that he is all-powerful. So when we think of baptism, what we have to reflect on is ordinary water. What do we experience from water? Well, it's through water that we are washed and cleaned, which fits so well with the idea of the washing away of sins. Not only that, water often conveys renewal and life. Rain in the spring is necessary for the restoration of life. But we even experience this when we, when we drink water or when we're feeling exhausted. We'll go to the tap and splash cold water on our face. Why? To refresh us, to waken us up. See, when God flooded the earth in the story of Noah, he wasn't just destroying the creation. He was, in fact, actually restoring it through water. Water captures so powerfully the spiritual truths of the washing of way of sins and the new life that we've been given in Jesus. And that's why I think God intended for us to use water as this powerful imagery to communicate to us the glorious truths that we have in Christ. See, this morning, we're not just going to hear these truths, but we're going to see these truths as both Graham and Danielle are baptized. They're going to testify by their baptism that they love Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has testified that he loves them. And he demonstrated this by dying in their place and for their sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrament of baptism, this gift that you have given us, this ordinary means of grace. And we pray, God, that if there's anyone here who has not yet trusted in Christ, that they would do so this morning, that they would repent and believe on him, and that they would go through the waters of baptism, identifying with Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that as we witness two baptisms here this morning, that you would encourage our hearts, and especially encourage both Graham and Danielle's heart, as they go under the waters of baptism, identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.